Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Good morning. So good to see all of you here. Kids, don't forget back there in the back corner, we got some bags that include um, colored pencils and a um, clipboard for you. And if you grab uh, some of the sermon notes, which are in the back section of the little dispenser of notes and stuff, on the bottom of those are going to be a question for today. And so if you answer that question and turn it back in, back at the, the uh, kids' corner over there, you're in will receive one draw in our prize box at the end of October for every correct answer. And then you'll also be entered in to the possibility of getting a gift card to one of your favorite restaurants at the end of the month. So yeah, and so adults, it's not for you. Sorry. Be sure to put your name, be sure to put your, uh, your grade level, and then the answer to the question before you turn it in and you can go ahead and there are some markers back there too you can personalize your bag and start coloring on the bag on the clipboard you can decorate your bag bring stickers for your clipboard we'll have stickers coming out in the next couple weeks for you to decorate your clipboards with so understand if you get a bag with a clipboard and you personalize it it is yours to keep and then you just return it to the station back there and we will keep track of it and make sure it doesn't disappear during the week so some of you adults maybe need to get a bag Uh, and start decorating yourself a clipboard so you can take better notes. But uh, everybody, uh, just it's so good to have you here of any age and to be part of the church family with us. Also remember, kids, back there are the next two pages of the catechism. So parents, encourage your kids to grab these. A catechism is just a question and answer formula for helping your children learn doctrine. And so the first... uh, first six pages are available, and we'll release those two pages at a time in the coming weeks and months. And if you were to collect them all, color them up, parents, you will have a catechism or a question and answer formula for you to work with your kids on understanding basic doctrine and just uh, being able to disciple your children. So it's a great tool for that. Sunday Bible School, we had another great week this week. If you were not in Sunday Bible School, I encourage everybody to consider joining us for a class. We've got classes for all ages and a number of different interests, so please be sure to join in. Uh, women, you've got a class down in the women's room across from the office, and y'all looked fairly full the last couple weeks, so you might be having to move outside or something. I don't know. Um, I'm kidding. We'd move you into like the sanctuary or something. Uh, and we could fill the sanctuary every Sunday morning, Sunday school for, with women. Okay, good. Uh, so challenge has been accepted. Uh, ladies, you need to start inviting. Uh, we've also got a great Bible class led by Steve, and then I'm doing Doctrine, the Baptist Faith and Message. So adults, some great class opportunities for you as well. So Sunday Bible School continues. 1829, just a reminder, reminder everybody who's participating in uh, the, our ministry for 18 to 29-year-old adults. This coming Friday, October 15, 7 to 9 p.m., downstairs in the fellowship hall. We're going to be doing our meeting together. Uh, Bring your favorite soup. Uh, I'm going to be bringing mine. You bring yours. We'll share together. Have a great meal. If the temperature is under 60, we will have a bonfire outside. If it's above 60, some of us people can't handle the heat. And we will be inside and watching 
the first episode, watching and discussing the first episode of Chosen. So encourage you to come and join us for that. If you're in that age group, even if you're a couple and only one of you falls into that age group, come join us uh, and make the most of that. So, and then encourage you, Faith Kids are supposed to be having a hayride at the Spring House the Saturday after. Um, so just, just this coming Saturday, actually, October 16. If you're interested, you need to contact Molly or email faithkids at faithlakeside.com. And uh, some of you are concerned about the price. Understand that if you have a fa- or a family with multiple kids and you um, need help, we will be paying for kids to be able to go. You'll just need to figure out how to pay for yourself. As a parent. Um, so I'm, I made a mistake at worship practice this last Thursday. <laughs> We're going to sing later a Need to Breathe song. And if you're familiar with the band Need to Breathe, the lead singer's got this really raspy voice. And at worship practice on Thursday night, I was trying to do it. And my throat has not been the same since. And so um, at, after a little bit of practice this morning and then singing a little bit and teaching... My throat's starting to feel it again because I was stupid and was trying to, you know, be cool. Um, (laughs) Wow. Anyway, we are going to continue our study in the book of Philippians. So if you've got your Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 1. Or if you have your Bible app, you can open up your Bible app and scroll to the beginning of Philippians. So uh, we were last week... We got into Paul's statement here, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, in which he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so we see that Paul is telling this Philippian church, and last week we talked about it, how he celebrates their partnership in the gospel. I've got a cough drop in my mouth. I'm drinking water. Thank you. I'm, <clears throat> next thing, I'm just going to have to take a sedative and take a nap. Um, put that guy down. Sorry, <clears throat> I'm not sick. It's just this. Anyway, I stressed my voice, and I've got a frail little voice. Paul tells us that he had been praying for the Philippian church. And um, then he tell about, tells us about his partnership with them in the gospel. And what he doesn't tell us is what he had been praying for them about until we get to verses 9 through 11. And so verses 9 through 11, after Paul says, I've been praying for you, but first let's celebrate our partnership in the gospel and how amazing it is that we have the opportunity to invest together in both the mission and the message of Jesus Christ in order to reach the world around us. And then in verses 9 through 11, after having celebrated their relationship, he begins to talk about the work that he wants to see God do in them. And so we see the details of his prayer for the Philippian partners. And the ultimate goal of, God, of Paul's prayer for the Philippian church is the glory and praise of God. So it's important, if you're taking notes, to remember that the ultimate goal of Paul's prayer for the Philippian church is the glory and praise of God. So, 
excuse me, I'm, it's, 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 uh, if you've got that one question, what's the goal of Paul's prayer? It's the glory and praise of God. So we're going to look at verses 9 through 11 and try and understand what it is that Paul is praying for. So let's read the whole, uh, these three verses, just, just, just a little chunk together, and then we'll dive into them a little more aggressively and try and understand what it is Paul has been praying for the Philippian church. So verses 9 through 11, Paul says this, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So first we need to see what it is that Paul has been praying for. We try and understand, and then we understand the results or what he hopes will be the results of his prayer life for the Philippian church. So he says, I pray this. That your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. You know, prayer is supposed to be a really critical and integral part of every believer's life. And if you're like myself, you oftentimes likely find yourself praying about things like bills, health, jobs, Lord, let the Steelers win. Um, you know, that's, that's like a prayer for many today and, and it, probably every Sunday the rest of the season. Um, you know, it, it will only be by God's grace that they will win. Just, just, I mean, I'm just being honest, right? But <clears throat> that our prayer life is, is oftentimes really focused on um, personal things or personal needs. And so I think it's kind of interesting to note some of the things that Paul was not praying for for the Philippian church. Now that is not to say that any of these things are unimportant because what we're going to find is in the remainder of this letter is that Paul addresses some of these things and talks about the importance of some of these things in the Christian life and the importance of praying for some of these things. But in this specific prayer, the most important prayer that Paul has for the Philippian church, the one he prays for them every time he prays. Remember that? We look back at the very beginning of this passage, verses 3 and 5. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. So this is a regular, daily prayer that Paul has for the Philippian church, that their love would keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. But things he's not praying for them, or praying about for them every day are physical or financial needs. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't say, listen, I want you to know, I pray every day that God would meet your needs. His, his priority is not on their physical needs. He doesn't pray for their safety. Now, we all, uh, that's among what some of the top prayer requests in life, right? Safety. Uh, hedge of protection. First of all, what kind of plant is a hedge of protection made out of? Um, it, <clears throat> that was just a bad joke. Um, and many of you are like, what? Like, what kind of shrubbery is a hedge of protection made out of? Um, we, we all understand it, right? We want God to protect. We want God to, to, to keep us. We want God to keep us safe. When we're traveling, you give us traveling mercies. Lord, uh, you know, put angels all about us to keep the crazies away. That's a lot of our prayer life, it seems. We pray a lot for healing. We pray a lot for power or success in life. 
But Paul is not praying for any of these things for the Philippian church. Now, you need to understand that in this day and age, it's likely that the Philippian church was living on the edge of poverty, under moderate persecution, and that they were facing sickness and death on a regular basis. But Paul's priority for them is not safety or physical and financial needs or healing or power or success. Paul's everyday prayer for the Philippian church is what we're going to dive into here. And we're going to find it is much more meaningful than just the physical needs of this life. In fact, it would be life-altering for all of us to pray this prayer for one another and to pray it for ourselves. Because what this prayer that Paul has for the Philippian church does, if it is answered in the way that he's asking, and we trust that that God will answer with a, a great yes, because it's so in line with God's plans for us, is that they will be able to rise above all of these concerns and walk in Christ in a way that will just revolutionize the world around them and their own lives. So, let's look at what Paul did pray for then. He says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing. This is not a prayer that we pray for others oftentimes. We pray for health, we pray for provision, but Paul is praying for the Philippian church on a regular basis that their love will keep on growing. Now he's already celebrated their relationship with him and how they care for one another and their partnership, their connectedness, their koinonia. And, and, and he's already said just how much he loves them and how much he understands their love for him. But he doesn't want that to be enough. He wants their love to keep on growing. The love that he talks about here is the, the, the Greek word agape. And a lot of us who've been in church a while, we know what that means, right? We're very familiar with the word agape. Some of us who've been in Sunday school long enough, we know agape and eros and thelos and uh, what's the other? stoika. Uh, no, that's not right. It's something like that. Can't remember right off. Anyway, it's not in my notes. It doesn't matter. Uh, agape, though, is what Paul's talking about here. What is Agape. It is the self-sacrificing, unconditional type of love that is revealed in the character of God. That God constantly and continually gives of himself in order to keep us, in order to provide for us. And so Paul is praying for the Philippian church that their love, their willingness to sacrifice themselves for the sake of others and to love God, to sacrifice themselves for the sake of God's good work would continue to grow. Now, it's important for us to understand. Most of us remember what Jesus said, what what the Old Testament tells us. Love the Lord your God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two great commandments that are really one. But God is the first and greatest object of our love. And man is the second object of our love. And so when Paul is praying for the Philippian church for their love to increase, he wants them to become more passionate in their relationship with God and more sacrificial in their relationships with one another. And so he's not saying, oh, I want your needs to be met. I hope money rains down from heaven. I hope you're all healthy and strong and that you, know, you don't have any trouble from the government. He says, I want you 
to love more. I want you to be willing to sacrifice yourself for the sake of God and for the sake of one another. I want you to love more. And he says this. This is how he wants to see their love grow. He says their love will grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Now, wait a minute. We, we oftentimes look at love, and love is not about knowing. It's not about weighing things. It is about just accepting. Right? Everybody should get a nice, warm hug. And this is what love is in modern culture, isn't it? We, we just accept. That's what love means. We just give. That's what love means. Parents, if you love your children, they should have an iPhone, the newest version, by the time they're eight. Right? I mean, that's, that's what culture tells us. Yeah, kids, I'm lying. That's not true. Uh, 13 if you're lucky. 35 if you're normal. Uh, just, you know, that's when you will deserve it. <clears throat> but we are supposed to grow in love and, and this growth in love is about knowledge, not wishy-washy feelings. Because knowledge and discernment are intimately connected to knowing God and serving God. As you n- love God more, you know Him more. As you serve others more, you know them more. And you learn how to live rightly. In the Greek These two words, knowledge and discernment, talk about knowledge being godly knowledge, knowledge of God and Christ, or spiritual knowledge. In other words, what Paul wants for the Philippian church, what he wants for all of us as he prays this prayer, what should be our prayer for one another in ourselves, is that we grow in love, and that love is going to be expressed in knowing God more in understanding Him, in understanding His ways, in spending time with Him. If you genuinely are growing in love for God and for others, you will know them better. You will understand them in new and different ways. I thought I loved my wife when we got married. But the truth is, after 26 years, I know that I love her more and my love has grown because I know her more. I know her more deeply. I know her better. I know she likes to eat grass clippings when we go to Cracker Barrel, right? Those nasty greens. I don't understand why, but that's love to say, if, if you, I could order that for you, baby, I know you, I know you. You know, I, I know how to sort of, depends on her mood, make her cup of coffee. You know, I, I, I understand these things. I know that when I make buffalo wings, why is everything food with us? I don't know. We're a unique couple, right? But yeah, I know when I make buffalo wings, I got to put in a little bit of honey because just straight heat is too much. And a little bit of garlic. I mean, so as, as, as we know God, the same thing is true. When we know God that we were talking about in Sunday school this morning in my class. When we understand God is omniscient and omnipotent, He knows all and He is all-powerful. When we know that, it changes our relationship with Him. We are able to find freedom in trusting Him. 
that there is nothing that is a surprise to him and that there is nothing that comes into our life that he could that he was unable to fix or change he's not like trying to play catch up instead he is always knowing and he's always powerful enough and he's always directing and guiding and giving and as i know that about him i can love him more i can give more of myself to him knowledge We should be growing as Christians, not just in the warm fuzzies of faith. And and that's why K-Love, I harsh on it. It's good if you listen to K-Love. If you don't listen to K-Love and you need some spiritual pick-me-up, consider it. But positive and encouraging is what their, their tagline is. And to me, that just says, squishy and feel good. And that's not really all there is to the Christian faith. Our Christian faith should encompass our emotions, which is why Paul says, grow in love. Grow in the feelings that you have for God. Go in in the sacrifice that you have toward one another. But also, this love will be dictated by knowledge. Learn how to know God more. Dive into His Word. Understand Him better. In fact, get to know Him well enough that He confuses you. If your God is simple, if your God is small enough that you can explain him perfectly, you don't have the God of the Bible. You've got a false God. Get to know him. And then discernment. Paul wants the Philippian church to come to a place where they are so in love with God and one another. They know one another and they know God that as they move through life, they live with discernment. Practical insight for day-to-day living. Just wisdom or sound moral choices. See, love, genuine love, if we're growing in it, should result in a life of deeper relationship with God and right living. Here's a statement I found in a commentary I was reading. It, it actually is a summary of it. So this isn't original to me, but it's, it's, it was really clarifying for me to, to understand this. Genuine love, according to what Paul is teaching here, leads to more knowledge and insight, not less. And our culture would say, if you love somebody, don't pay attention to things. Just let stuff slide. I mean, if you really love them, you forgive, you move on, you let them live in sin, you let them live in brokenness, you know, just accept them for who they are. But genuine love, according to what Paul is telling the Philippians and telling us, it should lead to more knowledge about how to live life and what's right and what's wrong. More insight, more moral clarity, not less. Love is not blind to sin, but instead it should be increasingly aware of it and responding to it with a godly wisdom. If you think you love someone and you're sweeping their sinful habits under the rug and ignoring them, what you're showing is that you don't understand godly love according to what Scripture teaches. Paul says in Philippians that real love knows more and lives it rightly. Real love holds one another accountable. Real love sees sin and responds to it with the truth of God. In a wise and loving and just way. Not in a condemning way. We shouldn't be out picketing anywhere. We shouldn't be holding signs like Westboro Baptist. We don't need anybody thinking that we hate anybody else. But we need to be clear what's right and what's wrong as we grow in our love for one another and for God. Genuine love should make us more aware of what's wrong in ourselves 
and the world around us, and then give us the tools to rightly respond to it, not less aware and more prone to ignoring it. So Paul says, I want your love to grow so that you'll get to know God better, so you'll get to know one another better, so you'll learn how to live this life properly with discernment, with right choices. And he, he says this, uh, and then he says, here is the result I hope happens for you. I want your love to grow so you know God more, know the right choices to make, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this is the the result of his prayer. This is the answer to his prayer. I pray, Paul says, that you would grow in love and in, in knowledge and discernment so that you can begin to live this life differently. So that there'll be this internal change where you will have a deeper affection for God, a deeper affection for one another. You'll know God and know one another better. You'll, you'll be built up with this strong moral foundation. This internal change will take place. That's what I'm praying for you. But it's not just so you'll be a better person, but so that there'll be a, a shift in your lifestyle, church. So that there'll be a change in how you behave so that you may approve the things that are superior. Now, this language is, is, is a little weird. To approve the things that are superior, we might look at it and go, what does he mean there? Well, let's try and understand it a little bit better together. So he's saying that as we grow in this love that's evidenced in knowledge and discernment, we'll come to a place in life where we will begin to stand and look at the choices that we're making. And we will drag them out into the light and decide honestly and earnestly what is best for us in light of what God has planned. What is best for us in light of our love for God and for others? See this this word approve. uh, it, It means to test in an effort to prove the value of. It was especially used in the practice of determining the value of metals and coins. So if you had a a lump of metal and you wanted to see if it was genuine, you would test it. If you wanted to remove the impurities, you'd melt it down. You'd see just what was going on here. Do you have a lot of gold? Do you have a little bit of gold? Do you have fool's gold? What, What do you have? Is this a real coin? Or is it something made out of some other metal? You need to approve it. You need to try it out. You need to test it. And so Paul is saying that as you grow in this knowledge and this discernment, you'll come to a point where you'll be able to drag your things out and start testing them. You know, the, the joke when the uh, Olympians get the medals, you know, as they all pretend to bite them. Um, wonder if this is real. It's not much real gold in them anymore. But, but um, you know, there, there's this, this move to prove that it's, it really is true metal, gold, it's, it's a value. And, and Paul is saying that this, this is what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be biting down on our choices, <laughs> testing them, saying, is this really what I should be doing? And coming to a place where we choose the things that are superior. We choose the things that are best for us. 
and for the people around us. We choose God's plan versus man's plans. And I, I, I think that, that this is something that we as Christians in the 21st century in America really need to work on. This point of actually growing in our love and our knowledge and discernment to where we start honestly assessing the choices that we make. Here's what Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the uh, mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. In other words, Paul says that our faith should result in a physical change. We, we choose what to do with our body differently. And he says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern or test what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Paul says, we should have this attitude with our bodies that we are willing to drag out every choice as a sacrifice unto God. Every physical thing that we do, we, we say, is this what God would have so that we can find not just the good enough things, but the good, pleasing, and perfect things that God has given to us. So let me give you some examples and make a statement. I think too often, you and I, in today's culture, in today's age, we make choices based upon our own desires and longings, and we call them good. We, we make a choice and we say, that is a good thing. And you know what? I'm not going to deny that it's good on one hand. I think, I think sports are good. I think hobbies are good. I think a day away is good. I think there are so many good things. I think, I think a really good meal is good. That's, that's the word good too many times, right? Um, but let's come back to food, right? But... But how often do you and I, we take and we choose the good while we neglect the best? And I'm going to tell you just bluntly, Scripture is so very clear. Rest is good, but gathering with God's people is best. A, A day off is good, a Sabbath is good, but gathering as the church is what's best according to God's plans. You know, in our culture, we were actually being taught other things like, well, love in any form is good. And our culture, even Christians are falling prey to that. We're saying, well, sure, I mean, it's, it's real. Lo- How can we question they really love each other? Is, can't that be good because love is love? And you know what? As people, we might say, well, that's good. But as we grow in love and discernment and knowledge, we should honestly be able to look at things around us and go, but that's not best. I want you to have someone to love. I I want you to be able to pursue your desires, maybe. And yeah, it, it could be good for a season, but let me tell you, according to God's standards, that's not what's best. And just so you don't think I'm being obtuse or... Or, or like trying to hide. I'm talking about things like homosexuality. I'm talking about things like transgenderism. I'm talking about things like pornography. Where, where our culture says it's good. You know, it's good. I mean, 
How can it be wrong to just feel good? Well, maybe from your perspective, there's nothing wrong. But from God's perspective, it is not the best. And too often in our lives, too, we're satisfied with with what's good, but we neglect what's best. Is it good for you to unwind and decompress and sit on the couch and watch some Netflix? Yes. Would it be best if you read your Bible just for five minutes? Yes. It would be best. And if we start looking at the choices that we're making, that's what this, this, that Paul is praying for the Philippian church and, and by extension praying for us. Every choice you make about what you do with yourself, are you choosing the best or are you just choosing what's good? Paul says he wants you to get to the point in your Christian life, all of us, where we stop choosing what's good and we start approving what's superior or the best. Now, some of those choices are pretty blatantly clear, aren't they? Others are going to be a little more difficult. The chili cheese dog is good. The salad is best. I mean, it could be that simple. It could be that obvious. Of course, sometimes it's not that easy. But it should still be the paradigm that Paul or the paradigm that we work in, because that's what God's desire is for us, according to Paul's prayer here. The second thing that Paul wants for the, Corinthian, or the Philippian church and all of us, so that not only might we approve the best things and live them out, but that we might also be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. This is a big prayer. To pray for us, that our love would grow, that our knowledge of God and one another would grow, that our discernment, our right choosing would grow, so that we might be pure and blameless when Jesus Christ returns. Those two words, pure and blameless. Pure, it's a compound word. It really means to bring out into the light of the sun. He says, To the Philippian church and to us, I want you to be so in love with God and so walking rightly that you can drag out your entire life into the light of the sun and no one will take issue with it. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I'm still a little scared of sunlight. I still got some cracks and some corners and some places in my life that if I were to honestly drag them out, it would be quite an embarrassment. And maybe even some of you would be like, and there would be like some tar and some feathers on the way out and a nice rail. I don't know. It's not that bad, but, but you know what? It's bad enough. But, but I also would venture to say, I believe that many of you have the same cracks and crevices and corners of your life. And if we were to drag them out into the sunlight, how would you behave? How would you feel? How might that change? So Ken? 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 Sorry. It sounds like it's something weird's happening, brother. It's okay, I know. Um, did I do something? Echo, echo, echo. I'll keep going. Paul's talking about 
we should be to a point or a place, okay, where we are willing in our walk with God and one another to drag out things into the sunlight. To expose the deepest, most difficult parts of who we are and be honest about them. That's what purity means. He wants us to be pure and blameless. This word blameless is not causing anyone else to stumble. Anybody ever been fed the, 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 uh, the line, you're not responsible for anyone else's spiritual life? The truth is, is what Paul is telling the Philippian church here, is that we are. We are responsible for whether or not we have caused someone else to stumble. We're responsible for their spiritual well-being. We're responsible to how they see Christ in and through us. We are deeply responsible for that. And Paul says, I want you to be at a place where you have matured as a Christian, Philippian church, and every believer who will read this letter for all ages until Jesus comes back. I want you to be at a place where when Jesus returns you will be able to drag everything out into the light without shame and you will be able to stand up and say, and I didn't trip anyone else up. I was faithful as a representative of Jesus. That's Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. It's his prayer for us. It should be our prayer for ourselves and for one another. John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and he says this, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, in other words, if we drag all the things that we're embarrassed of and ashamed of today out into the light together and start being honest, If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from a couple of sins. No, from all sin. But if you continue to walk in the darkness, if you continue as a Christian to be in a place where you don't love God and you're not growing in knowledge and discernment and you keep taking all of the things that embarrass you and shame you and the sins and the wrongdoings that plague you and you keep shoving them back into the darkness and hanging out just right on the edge of light and hoping that it's good enough for God, what John says is you're lying to yourself. You're not walking in the fullness of the Christian faith you may not even be saved. But if you're willing to drag all of those things out into the light with you, and others do the same, we'll have fellowship together, we'll walk with God, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all of those things that we were ashamed to drag out into the light in the first place. And this is Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. You would come to a place in your walk with Christ that you would be able to drag things out into the light and be pure and blameless. Now, how do we know if we're pure and blameless? How do we know that we are walking rightly with Jesus? He says if we're pure and blameless, we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Some of you might wonder, what is that fruit of righteousness? It wasn't those huge grapes you found downstairs on the coffee bar this morning. Those things were 
big. Um, they're not even the, those weren't even the biggest ones at Sam's Club. Sam's Club has grapes that are the size of like plums. It's just weird. It's unholy. Um, <clears throat> seriously, I mean, it's just like man has done what only God can do. You know, and it's just we've, we've delved into things that are wrong. But, but that's not the fruit we're talking about. What fruit we're talking about, when Paul talks about the fruit of righteousness, he actually describes it in another letter he wrote in the book of Galatians. And he calls it the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. But it's the same list or concepts is what he is intending here in Philippians. The fruit of righteousness is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what we should be seeing in our lives. How do we know we are pure and blameless? We see the fruit of the Spirit in ever-increasing measure in our lives. If you... Don't think people in your life would describe you like this. It is critical for you to double down on submission to God. It is critical for you to be wanting to grow in your knowledge and your discernment, in your love for Him. Because this should be the result of every believer growing in Christ-likeness. We should see this in you. These words should describe you. If the people you work with wouldn't describe you like this. It's time to grow. If the people you live at home with wouldn't use some of these words to describe you, it's time to submit more fully to Christ. And so we should see in one another the fruit of righteousness. And here is why all of this, this is why Paul is praying for all of this, to the glory of and praise of God. The, the final goal, the ultimate goal of Paul's prayer for the Philippian church is the glory and praise of God. Now, what does that do? It helps us to understand what our life is supposed to be for. Our life is not just for being good people accumulating things, making right choices, and then dying and seeing Jesus someday. Understand that our life, rightly lived, is to the glory and praise of a God who loves us, created us, sustains us, rescued us from our rebellion through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and even now wants to see us made more like Him daily. And so this prayer of Paul for the Philippian church is ultimately resulting in the glory and praise of God. So just to kind of wrap up this morning, to summarize, here's what Paul prays for the Philippian church, by extension for us. This should be our prayer for ourselves and for those around us. Number one, that we learn how to love God and love others more deeply and more rightly as we live. How do we do that? By spending time with God and spending time in submission and service toward others. If your life is self-serving, if your life is self-centered, if your life is all about you, if every choice is about what's best for you, if everything you do is about you, you will not progress in this. 
And so you must begin by loving God and loving others. Giving of yourself for the glory of God and for the good of others. And as you grow in that, the hope would be, the prayer is, the goal is that you stop choosing what's good and you start choosing what's best. You don't justify your selfish desires by saying, yeah, but I mean, it makes me happy. Yeah, but I mean, it's okay, right? When God has very clearly said there are some best things in life you should pursue first. We should be praying that we would live in the light and then making a habit of living in the light. Probably one of the greatest missing things in the modern church is the act of confession toward one another. Confessing both when we've wronged each other and confessing our own sins for the sake of dragging them out into the light so that we can be lovingly lifted up to overcome them. Now, I understand why the thought of dragging out your sins is a scary proposition. Because it could end up on Facebook in like 20 minutes, right? All of us are scared to death that we're going to be the next TikTok meme, you know, about how we confess to sin and we're weeping and, you know, and then somebody puts us up on social media and now we're made fun of. I mean, 17 million hits, but we're ashamed. Living in the light's not easy. But just because it's not easy doesn't mean it shouldn't be a priority in our lives as Christians. And you know what? I'm going to begin by just letting you know. I'm not going to give details yet. Details are best for small groups. <laughs> Honestly. But I struggle in ways, folks. I'm not a perfect Christian. Do I long to be? Oh, yeah. I am so tired of my own sin. I, I am so tired of not doing things rightly, small and big. And sometimes we need to know that about other Christians, right? That they're imperfect before we're willing to start dragging things out. As you get into small groups, as we get to know each other better in Sunday school classes and and Bible studies, I want to encourage you not to be afraid to share leaders, especially those areas where you struggle bit by bit. Not the whole thing all at once, right? Parents, tell your children where you struggle. Be honest with them. Show them genuine faith, not some sort of pseudo, I'm perfect, you're not, religiosity. Live in the light together. We're also, as Christians, supposed to be doing and praying that we might do the work of caring for the spiritual lives of those around us. Who are you responsible for? when it comes to their spiritual life. Now, some of us say, well, the pastor is responsible for everybody. And I want you to know I feel that very deeply, in all honesty. I hate when you struggle spiritually. I hate when bad things come into your life. I hate that I don't have the answers to fix things. Like, okay, do these three things and life will be perfect. I wish I could lie to you like that. It's not how it works. But I do care for you. But guess what? Spiritually, biblically, according to Paul's prayer this morning, who are you responsible for when it comes to spiritual lives? And I'm going to tell you, 
every person that you encounter in a meaningful way, you're responsible for having an influence on their spiritual life, good or bad. And Paul Paul says he wants us to be blameless, never having made anyone stumble. Now, that would be so nice if that could be perfectly true today in all of us, but it should be a goal that we seek to have a positive influence on everyone we encounter and their spiritual life. Finally, uh, last two, pursue the fruit of righteousness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Pursue those things. How do you pursue those things? Well, first of all, you expect them of yourself as a Christian. First of all, expect them of yourself. Second of all, pray. Pray for them. Father, that wasn't very loving of me. Help me to be more loving. And also, sometimes you might have to drag it out into the light and confess to someone else. And then ultimately, see to it that your life is about glorifying and praising God. Your, your ultimate goal as a Christian, one of those things should be to share the gospel. But the big goal is always to glorify and praise God. Live your salvation from the inside as God changes you from the inside outward. There should always be an outward manifestation of the inside changes that are happening in you so that the mission and message of the gospel will be fully proclaimed and God will be glorified and praised. And so as we see Paul and his prayer for the Philippian church, it brings us back to this one verse, to live. For me, to live is Christ. I want to know him more. I want to know the people he's put me in contact with more. I want to be more wise and discerning. I want to choose what's best. I want to be willing to drag my own sins out into the light and walk in fellowship with others. I want to be able to see others mature spiritually because of my own influence. I want to see the fruit of righteousness in me and in you. I want to glorify God. So for me, to live is all about Jesus. But guess what? The coolest part of the story is when this life is over, we have eternity. And on the other side, the Bible promises us some very specific things. Perfect fellowship with God. Perfect fellowship with one another. No more pain and suffering. A body that doesn't creak, groan, or ache. And a forever in the presence of God in which the work that we do will be both glorifying to Him and fulfilling to us. Doesn't that sound good? And that is the gain that comes when we die. So for me, and for you, and for Paul, and for the Philippian church, for all Christians who genuinely profess the name of Christ, every moment that we live should be about Him about allowing inward change that results in outward living that shares the gospel and glorifies God. So, as the worship team makes their way up today to close us out, there's a lot of information sort of today when we see Paul's prayer. But my hope is that in reading about his prayer for the Philippian church, we can understand it's a prayer for us and that we would begin to pray these things for ourselves. 
that we would pray these things honestly for ourselves. And so as we look and close tonight or today, I just want to pray this prayer for us. It's simple. And it's not very long. But may it be our prayer for ourselves and for one another. And so, if you would, pray with me. Father God, we pray this, that your love, or that our love, will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that we may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. May it be true of us every day. Lord, help this to be our prayer more and more on an ever-increasing measure so that you might be glorified, that your gospel might go out, and that um, our world would be shaken and changed for the good. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen.
child of God. And as children of God, I want to encourage you to pray that you might grow in love and knowledge and discernment so that you might be able to choose what is best so that you might be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory of God see you guys throughout the week God bless you may he keep you may he sustain you may you have a longing for him this week that you haven't experienced in a long time may you have a desire to connect with others and know more of him and them as you continue to walk in the light god bless you guys Under my 